0: This is Shinji Kagawa and you are listening to the Yellow World podcast. Episode 210 of The Yellow Wall Pot. My name is Stefan Butzko, your host for this, I guess, evening for us to at least. Uh, hello also to Matthias Huck. Hey Stefan, how's it going? Uh, it's going wonderful. It's perfect. Uh, we finally have this pesky Champions League fixture against Tottenham out of the way and can now uh, be completely optimistic and get into the Derby fever. Matthias? Borussia Dortmund did not uh, gain momentum by winning on the Friday night in Stuttgart as they uh, wanted to against uh, former youth coach Hannes Wolf. Um, But apart from that early mistake, it wasn't wasn't all too bad, right?
1: Well, um, no, I mean, we got the scoreline prediction right, just unfortunately for the wrong team. (laughs) Yeah. And the first, actually, I mean, aside from that, I mean, that was really, that was just crap luck, you know? I mean, what, what do we say in German? You know, I mean, it's basically when anything that can go wrong will go wrong, you know, uh, Murphy's Law in that that aspect. But aside from that, the first half actually wasn't that bad. I, I thought uh, Dortmund played overall quite well. Um, from a mentality standpoint, the first half, was definitely better than some of the previous matches. There was no nobody was lethargic and, and things like that. Um, second half, yeah, that was that was that was pretty bad. The second half, it was um, some of the worst football I've seen from Dortmund under Busch. I, let me take that back. That was the worst football I have seen under Busch, not the worst football I've seen from Dortmund. Over the last few years, but definitely under Bosch. And it's just, but all credit also goes to Stuttgart. Um, I thought defensively they stood very well, very compact. Um, Obviously, Hannes Wolf made some changes at halftime, or at least... I don't know what he said at halftime to change him because in the second half, they were significantly more aggressive. Because in the first half, after they got that yeah, lucky I goal. I explain it in a second. Okay. After that first <laughs> yeah. goal, they were super passive. They let Dortmund kind of control the match. In the second half, they came out aggressive on the front foot, pressed hard. Uh, I think Timo Baumgartel for me, was probably the best player on the pitch. I mean, the amount of times he just shut down Yarmolenko uh, was impressive. Uh, and even, three times yep. in the second half. And even when Yamolenko got around him, he he got his positioning right quickly again. So, Baum got I wouldn't mind seeing him in Dortmund. But um yeah, so I'm I'm going to have to give a lot of credit to Stuttgart because it was really how they came out in the second half which turned that match around into their favor. And I'm not going to say caught Dortmund by surprise, but definitely put Dortmund so far on the back foot that they just just couldn't get an answer.
0: Yeah, I think it's very fair to say that in the second half, Stuttgart were closer to a third goal than Dortmund were ever to an equalizer. I mean, we had this one André chance from an acute angle, which Sila then excellently saved with his foot, but otherwise I can't think of too many things. Um, What was really interesting about this game, though, um, is um, how... Dortmund finally somewhat managed to... I don't even know if I want to say beat a man-marking scheme. Because in the second half, they did not. It was the exact exact opposite. But um, it was really great to see how Mario Götze was utilized and also Shinji Kagawa to an extent. But uh, more or less the entire build-up in the first half went through Jeremy Toyan and uh, Mario Götze, Who then uh, basically turned around... And, uh, yeah, found spaces, which after dropping very deep to more or less get the ball and be a passing option for Toljan, because, um, uh, Matthias Zammer for Eurosport, he explained it so well that I can't do a, any better job there. But, uh, basically what happened is that, uh, in Sur, who was, uh, Stuttgart's left wing back, uh, he didn't really push as far forward as he should have to really mark Toyan out of the game, so Toyan was actually the only player in the first half who was not man marked or was a player who was open without any man orientation if you if you wanted to put it like that, and Dortmund could utilize that actually. Meyer um, got to drop deeper on that right side and uh, then you know managed to turn around. And uh, either find Yamolenko, who then oftentimes dribbles and, uh, you know, early on beat Baumgartel as well still while he still had the energy to do so. Or Andre Schöle. Um, yeah, even though we all know Andre Schöle isn't, uh, yeah, in his best form after just returning from injury. However, he showed a sort of dimension that we don't usually see with Aubameyang uh, in the game. And that was his, uh, back to goal or or movement with his back to the goal and actually dropping a little bit deeper and uh, offering a passing option, which was something I really liked. And André Schölle actually did well, at least in the first half. In the second half, it was just a barrage of bad touches. But uh, this is maybe a little bit down to him not being informed. But uh, for the time being, we saw that, uh, you know a different striker could offer different options for Bosch and his system and uh, make things a little bit easier. So basically, we had uh, good synergy for once on the right side. Uh, Although, you know, it was sad to see that the left side was very neglected and Julian Weigel also not as much in the game as he usually is. But, uh, you know, that at least was some improvement. And uh, yeah, it actually looked like Dortmund were the better team and that they could recover from uh, that early individual error cock-up. I don't know what you want to call it, <laughs> which, uh yeah. We had a great photo of that where Roman Bürki is literally, yeah, laying on the ground like he's laying on a boogie board or something <laughs> and asking Mark Batra, what the hell are you doing, mate? Um But, yeah. Dortmund looked like they were going to turn this around and then this late equalizer. Matthias, uh, André Schöle made Ron robert save his very first career penalty. But uh, how great was that shot of uh, Maximilian Philipp to uh, yeah, absolutely blast it into the net?
1: Extremely. I mean, extremely difficult. You know, I think people underestimate. It. They think, oh, you know, it's off a penalty. The keeper's kind of in a prone position. But if you really look at it, especially from the back goal camera angle, he had a very small window to get it into. And he did it precisely and with a lot of power. And he just reacted the fastest. Uh, when I saw Shula was stepping up to take the penalty, I'm not going to lie, I went, oh, well, we're going to miss this. Not because I'm anti shula I'm probably more pro shula than, than most, but I just wasn't feeling it. You know, sometimes you're just like, I don't know about this one. And, uh, you know, the guy that probably should have taken the penalty at the end scored. So at least it didn't go down as a penalty score. You know, we scored technically from open play. <laughs> but um, uh, Philip. Impressed me overall in the match, too. I mean, like you said, most of the play didn't go over his side, but his work rate was impressive again. I mean, the the guy runs his socks off, and he's a trier. He tries real hard, but so does André Schule. It's just, you know, in the second half, like I said, it didn't quite come off. But that, that goal epitomized what he is capable of. And uh, I'd, like, I'd actually like to see him in the striker position a couple of times, to be honest.
0: Yeah, why not, right? I mean, uh, if Schüttel can do it, I'm sure Philip can do it as well. And uh, yeah, where was I? Oh yeah, there was this halftime and I think most Borussia Dortmund fans were really feeling good about this, right? You know, I think everyone more or less expected Dortmund to now turn this around going by how the first half overall went. Uh, You know, the equalizer was more than deserved. And then the second half came about. And as you already said, Hannes Wolf made a change. Peter Bush did not. And, uh, the consequence was that, as you've described it, one of the shittest Dortmund halves you ever saw. So, um, yeah, or at least in, in recent years or whatnot. Um, yeah, that was pretty atrocious. And basically what happened is that, uh, Hannes Wolf, uh, put in sewer a little bit more. Up front to, uh, yeah, finally mark Toljan out of the game. And I think he also made a, uh, change with Brekalo, right? And, uh, basically, Shutgat then pressed, uh, Batra and, uh, Socrates or rather Zagadu then, because Socrates had to go off with the broken rib. Um, so, yeah, that, that more or less happened. That just, Shutgat, uh, Became a little bit more aggressive and worked like a charm for them on, on the opposite. Uh, yeah, the change up in, uh, Dortmund's backline for the millionth time this season did not quite help. And, uh, thus Dortmund was completely stifled. Uh, Mario Götze not as influential anymore as he was in the, in the first half. And, uh, also I would say Yamulenko, who, uh, yeah, had an okay first half or maybe even good. I don't, I don't know because I'm always a bit frustrated that he's dribbling so many times on his right side when he can just play the pass into the center again, just a simple layoff and to create so much space and, and momentum for you and, and instead he just dribbles. So that that's a little bit annoying in my uh, view, but um, yeah, this is, this is basically how the whole thing petered out in the end because... <laughs> Because uh, Peter Bosch did not uh, adjust anything, I felt. And uh, yeah, so it literally petered out. Matthias, what was so bad about the second half in your view?
1: Well, I mean, there are a few things you talked about there. I mean, Hannes Wolf made some adjustments going into the second half. Peter Bosch didn't, Peter Bosch didn't have to. Hannes Wolf had to uh, because of the momentum of the match. If Hannes Wolf hadn't have made the changes the way he did, uh, Dortmund would have won the match. I'm completely convinced of that. What didn't help matters was, like you said, the Socrates injury. I mean, that's one thing I think people tend to just overlook in their, especially the the massive anti-Bosch people uh, who, in my opinion, aren't very level-headed overall. They overlook the fact that we've very rarely been able to field the same back four. Uh, this reminds me, I don't even remember what season it was. I think it was a club season. It may have been the last season. Uh, where it was the same issue, where we almost never were able to feel the same back four. And, you know, you you always speak about automatisms going forward. I think it was
0: also last season (coughs) where I had like a a chart uh, of of different back lines in front of me
1: where I wrote down like 10 different or so after. But it's automatisms are important, but they are critical in defense, because these players need to understand each other. They need to know... I mean, you think about the best period in Dortmund's time was when you had Hummels and Subotic. They knew almost instinctively when one goes forward, when the other one drops off, they knew exactly what each role was. And also with Pischek and Schmelzer on either side on the fullback positions, we haven't had that continuity in really 18 months. And because under... Uh, Tuchel, we also conceded a lot of stupid counterattacking goals. Also under Klopp in his last season, where we also had injury issues like this, conceded a lot of stupid over the ball, over the top, long ball type counterattacks. And it's simply down to not having a defensive unit that plays together enough or at all. I mean, I don't even know Optimism, how many.
0: Something I've been preaching on the yellow World pod for how many years now?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, before. but I mean, if you go to any any coaching course, they will tell you, you know, because it's always asked, "Can you can you work out certain movements and stuff in an attacking sense?" That's rather difficult. Defensively, absolutely, absolutely. But if you never have the same back four, how are you ever going to get that continuity? It's just impossible. So let's not discount that. And I'm sure that is something that is kind of saving Peter Bosch's butt right now is the fact that the injuries to the back line have just been, I mean, yeah, you know, when it rains, it pours kind of a thing. But then after that, I think you spoke of uh, the bad touches of Schüle. Yamolenko in the second half kind of wasn't really existent. And I think that's down to they were just tired. Uh, you mentioned Schule, probably fitness issues led to it. And Yamolenko has played a lot over the last few weeks. And then they bring in someone like Mahmoud Dahoud, who to me is a waste on that bench. He did once again nothing. I mean, nothing aside from give the ball away again in bad <laughs> I positions. I was just going
0: to say, yeah. <clears throat> you
1: like, know, how many dribbles did he attempt like in his own
0: half? very close to the halfway line and then lost it, that's a zone where you're not supposed to lose the ball, especially not when you're a central midfielder. I mean, it would be even worse if you're the holding midfielder, but uh, that led to a couple of dangerous counterattacks, and uh, I think every Dortmund fan had a right to be very excited about Mahmoud Dahoud early on. Uh, but right now, the way he's playing, uh, there's little to be excited about. And uh, of course, you never know what it exactly is down to. But, uh, you know, all we can do is, uh, you know, <coughs> analyze what, what what's in front of our eyes. And what we saw in Stuttgart is that Dahoud was uh, nowhere near of a helping hand. I mean, it's been the other way before in other games where the who came on and had assist after assist after assist and it was great, but in Stuttgart, that was not so good. So, um, you know, maybe it's, it's this sort of, uh, spiral where the player comes on and tries to win everything. Uh, with every touch in the game because he feels like he has to impress the coach or anything. And, you know, this sort of uh, thinking, this sort of psychology sometimes uh, can take a turn for the worse as well. But, uh, yeah, that wasn't good. And so uh, we did not even talk about Mark Bartra. He didn't only have this uh, first incident where uh, he played. I don't, I don't want to say ball to Roman Burke. It was more like a, like a shot, <laughs> a back shot and, uh, then, uh, Mark Batra channeled his inner Mats Hummels in the, uh, what was it? It was uh, also very early in the second half, right? Uh, yeah, 51st minute as that was when Brikalu scored. And, uh, what happened is that Batra left his line to win, uh, ball in midfield. went up the pitch and, and tried to, yeah, win the ball and he did not. And, uh, as it happened so often already this season, um, if we do not have any structure, In the backline whatsoever, it doesn't take too many passes to, uh, yeah, inflict or, or initiate a counterattack. And this time, I think was it one or two passes? I don't, I don't even remember, uh, how many passes it it were until Brecalot was running. So one criticism I have here is a Mark Bartra in this moment where Dortmund more or less have a lot of control of the game does not necessarily need to move out of his Back line there. Although I uh, usually appreciate it when a when a centre back goes forward and, and tries to do something, uh, Mats Hummels created a lot of momentum over several seasons that way for Dortmund. But uh, if you are Marc Batra and your tackling success is not up to those standards, it's uh, it's problematic. And then Marcel Schmelzer. Uh, not really reacting to that at all, to the movement of Mark Batra going up. We talked about it, about automatism. If he goes up and tries to win a battle, uh, as a left back, you should, I, at least in, in my view, you should think about, uh, you know, the risk that is uh, being taken there and maybe moving back. And, uh, yeah, he did not and basically napped while Brecalo ran away in his, uh, on, on his side and uh, yeah the rest was history of course we can say uh, Axel Zagadou still could have uh, defended that I mean he was nutmegged and so was Roman Bürki so you know the ball still could have been blocked but I think the damage was done much much earlier
1: yeah the the positioning of Schmetzer uh, I mean when when the play broke down and I saw it and I saw where schmelzer was standing all I could say was oh shit uh, it, because it was he was high and he was tucked inside. So there was, I mean, so much space. So, uh, it was just like, oh, my God. But then when Brekalo did not square the ball, instead he kept it, I went, oh, oh, we have a chance because he's being a selfish dumbass. And instead, he shoots it basically between two defenders that were standing right in front of Birki, I mean, right in front of him. If you saw it from the stand, I heard, you know, some people have said, well, I was at the match. I saw what happened. It's like, well, it doesn't matter if you were at the match. I saw it in slow motion replay. Um, the ball went through Zagadou's legs and kind of through the other defender that was there and completely blindsided Buki. Buki didn't see the ball until it was right in front of him. and Probably
0: didn't even see it uh, before he picked even. it out of his own net. Yeah,
1: because <laughs> it was also shot at a good pace, so... You know, any keeper, all keepers will strike. A keeper that saves that, that would have been honestly a lucky reflex more than anything else. Yeah. And Byuki had an unlucky reflex or it just he was just unlucky and it wasn't even a reflex. He just didn't see it. He didn't see <laughs> his it. His reflex was to open his legs. Yeah, he, couldn't, slut. <laughs> he couldn't see it uh, yeah. because you're taught as a keeper to set your legs. So if you set your legs, they immediately go apart. That's just a natural reaction of a body. Otherwise, you keep them together, you fall down in that situation. So he did everything right. No matter what a moron like Mario Basla may think, um, he, he listens to the right people and, and keeping and so on. And we'll talk about Buki a little bit in the Tottenham match. But yeah, it was just, ah, uh, it, it was frustrating because it was a run of play where Dortmund didn't look too bad. And then it just all kind of fell apart after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue, right? Um, and uh, I mean, there were so many questions about lack of fitness uh, after the Tottenham match. And uh, maybe there's something to that, you know, that Dortmund players are lacking the stamina to go for 90 minutes and really show the fight to turn games around because... Uh, right now they turning things around sort of is always on their agenda because they're trailing late in the game and uh you know it's all o- also very evident and visible that they can't um just can't find a way to really create chances for themselves and uh, really overpower their opposition with like the last gasp onslaught or whatever you want to call it just not happening at the moment i think that's really really frustrating but um one thing may be physical fitness, but, uh, I think, uh, the, uh, mental setback, uh, every goal has on Dortmund right now is just a shell shock to them. And I think this is, this is just so, so severe and, uh, is also not really getting better from game to game that w- whenever they concede that, uh, yeah, you just see heads drop and, uh, yeah, they also just lose their structure. I think Marcel Schmelzer, Criticize that after the uh, 1-1 draw away to Nikosian. I don't think this hasn't really changed that uh, too many times three or four players are just trying to run into the box and there is no what we call staffelung anymore. So if a player up front gets the ball, um, then, uh, basically, uh, yeah, he doesn't have any passing options. He can't play deep and uh, it's easy to mark out of the game. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a little bit annoying to be honest, but it's just something the team has to deal with somehow. Um, Matthias, we will also come back to this issue in a, in a little while, but in, in the meantime, how do you actually think Dortmund can fix that, if at all, at any time, at any point going forward, unless they win?
1: <laughs> well, psychologically, nothing is better than a win. Um, I, I think if they can get... A couple of good results um, coupled with good performances out here back to back soon. I think that'll help, uh, especially to run into a winter break where you can kind of just reset. Um, now, we said that also in clubs last season, reset, and then they came back, they lost to Augsburg, were last on the table, but ended up qualifying for the Europa League. So um, there's still plenty of football left to be played. I think. You know, like I mentioned earlier, the big problem that Bush right now has defensively is just everyone seems to be hurt, and he can't keep a fit squad. And that's not down to training or anything like that. That's just rotten luck at times. You know, I mean, you you don't train or plan for someone as big, strong, Socrates to break a rib uh, in a match, and it, that's that's. I think at the end of the day. That's one of the biggest issues Dalton has is just the lack of consistency in a back line, predominantly down to, to injuries, in, in my opinion. And uh, he, he's going to have to be a little bit more creative even now in the next couple of weeks, which obviously, given what the next two fixtures are, just, uh, it's, it's not going to be the easiest
0: no it it really won't be yeah yeah if i if I look at my uh at my uh notes the last thing i have written down was Stuttgart switched to a five four one headless chicken offense too many players run up front and build up play dies i think uh that i already more or less covered um uh maybe one one quick note uh to add is that um it's rather uh, frustrating to see how easily Julian Weigel is marked out of the game. Basically, you just have to man-mark the guy and he is completely inefficient. Uh, we talk about these uh, pass matrices uh, every now and then here on the show. And uh, you could see, I think the uh, account is 11-11 on Twitter, and you, you could just see how Kagawa and Weigl both were completely non-existent in Dortmund's build-up. I know uh, Peter Bosch favors uh, playing through his fullbacks and have his build-up play there, which is um, which is an okay idea. I just don't know if that's the best approach if your fullbacks are Piszczek, Toljan, Schmelzer, and Durm. Um, that's just one note, but um, <laughs> another criticism of Overall in, in this game, maybe Uh one goes to his substitutions because I do not understand why Rafael Guerrero was brought on in the 83rd minute. I think against Tottenham, we uh, saw how much of a difference he can make with a little bit more time, maybe. And the other criticism would go out to the, I don't know, DFL or DFB. I think it's DFL, the German football league uh, who uh, scheduled this game because uh, Dortmund just had a lot of players uh, coming back from the international break still even though a couple stayed home um and uh, yeah that wasn't really helpful because Jaden Sancho for example was uh, not available and uh, sadly sadly Christian Pulisic also not in this game or uh, not available due to muscular problems because I think with the Pulisic uh, on later in the game or or starting this whole deal would have looked even a little bit better. So those are two criticisms I wanted to add before we maybe move on to the Tottenham game.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd probably add that... Um, I mean, I remember when when Dortmund would play Real Madrid uh, and they had Xabi Alonso. You mark out Xabi Alonso, you shut down Real Madrid under Mourinho just because of the importance. That, that deep-lying six position that Weigel has is such a critical role in the Bosch system. Um, You know, the most seasons he was a a manager where you could see it consistently was at Vitesse. And that was, you know, really his key anchor point. Tactically, you mark that position out. It starts to get, get a little bit tricky. Um, And I think that's, that's the one criticism that that I'll that I'll also leverage at a, at the Bosch tactic even though I'm I'm a fan of it is there are a couple of things that you can do tactically to nullify the positive effects of it um, that's the one thing I'll say about Tuchel Tuchel was on the fly quicker to make those kinds of adjustments uh, Klopp also usually stuck to his guns and you know if it went poorly it just went poorly the whole match there wasn't a lot of twisting and changing and chopping the to, to make it to make it work better uh Toko was actually pretty good at that sometimes he overthought things and then we really screwed the pooch but um overall he he had more tactical flexibility and i think that's the one criticism of Bosch that um he may need to opt for Maybe, again, trying a double six approach versus a double eight or ten and a half or whatever you want to call it approach in his tactics just to mix it up. Even if it's just for 20 minutes here or there, that can make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is uh, the one thing that I really, really missed, that, the, that there are zero to none in-game adjustments whatsoever. And uh, if you've watched Borussia Dortmund and Thomas Tuchel, that was a really nice lux- luxury and, uh, we saw it, uh, in a couple of, uh, games, uh, between Dortmund and Bayern, uh, between Tuchel and Pep Guardiola, where they basically changed, uh, tactics every five minutes. Uh, you know, to exaggerate it a little bit, but, uh, you know, th- those were great tactical games, even if Bayern came out ahead, but, but still, you know, this is something we're right now not seeing at all. I mean we talked about this in the in the podcast where we discussed the Bayern match where uh, you know, were just two approaches and they stayed the same throughout ninety minutes, you know, that was unthinkable just a season ago. Um or two. So um yeah. I guess we can we can close the topic here. Uh Dortmund could have ended up uh, in 7th place in the table, but uh with Hoffenheim and Frankfurt just drawing 1-1 and uh, Hanover getting absolutely smashed at Bremen, uh, <laughs> who just uh Vera Bremen doubled their goal scoring record of the season by scoring 4. <laughs> um yeah, Dortmund are only in 5th place right now. It could have been worse, uh, but yeah. It's uh, not ideal going into the Derby, trailing uh, the better rivals by three points and uh, being also out of the Champions League ranks. And uh, Dortmund currently now on the place, which uh, Lars point predicted Dortmund to finish on. So, uh, yeah, this can't be good because Lars often is right about his predictions. Uh Thankfully, not always, though. And, uh yeah, if you look at the form tabelle, uh, Dortmund are in 16th now and have uh, just gotten as many points as Cologne and Freiburg in their last five games, M- meaning one draw which came against Frankfurt, who would have known that this was going to be the best result of the last five day uh, games. So, yeah, things not really looking well. And uh, now we can, yeah, briefly switch over to the Champions League. Uh, which Dortmund uh, I would say in the first half they also looked fairly well Uh, why did Dortmund look so good in the first half Um, Matthias was it because Tottenham just didn't care because they knew they were going to win the group anyway or do you think that actually had something to do with Dortmund doing something else
1: I don't think it has anything to do with complacency on on Tottenham side uh, Pochettino is a manager who will not allow complacency if he detects it you you're going to be riding pine for a long time i mean you you will not play under Pochettino if he thinks you're not always giving it your all i think um Dortmund played Very well. I mean, it was actually reminiscent of early season form. Uh, they, their pressing was good. Their positioning was good. Defensively, they were pretty solid overall. Um, and they combined nicely going forward. Yamolenko looked very comfortable. Obama Young looked good. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, things were clicking. I think, um, you know they it was a man-oriented system also from pacchettino at least in the first half and dortmund dealt with it well and i think that it helped because they just saw what happened against stuttgart and they they made the right adjustments at least uh, mentally to get into it and uh, were the i guess more awake side in the first half
0: yeah definitely in in my view they fully deserve to be one ahead and in, in this game, and uh, it, it's, you know, it's interesting because if you, I mean, I can't criticize the media because I'm part of it now writing for ESPN. But, uh, you know, if you listen to a couple of uh, journalists, you hear a lot of criticism about Bosch only having plan A. I mean, yeah, he has his philosophy and whatnot, but he actually does make adjustments. And I think we, we saw quite nicely, especially if we compare this, uh, first half to the first half away to Wembley and, um, uh, Dortmund then it in Wembley or at Wembley or whatever the preposition is here, um, playing a very high line, a very aggressive pressing as well. And, uh, yeah, basically, uh, going out uh on all fronts and uh we did not see that at all. This time Dortmund had what we call, I guess, a midfield press, right? Uh where they uh yeah dropped a little deeper and uh the front three were not attacking Tottenham's centre backs at all the time when they had the ball. They were just a little bit more passive and I like the uh tweak of uh putting Julian Weiger obviously in holding midfield but just a little bit closer to to the back line we i think we already saw that in shortcut as well and i think it's working out much better than pushing him up because that just what uh, yeah suits his qualities more and um yeah julian weigel all of the sudden looked a little bit more comfortable um in possession play at least um there's one issue i have to uh yeah malign in a bit but i i think overall dortmund looking a bit more like a champions league side because uh, i think in a champions league especially it's all a bit more about having a very much mat- mature approach uh, trying to uh yeah basically lower your own risk in in your approach and uh, in the champions league it should at least uh Be so that uh, you score a goal out of this one moment or those two moments and don't need like 10 chances to create two goals at least in those high profile games in against high profile opposition and i think this is exactly what Dortmund did and executed well and uh, then of course in the second half Harry Kane uh yeah did what Harry Kane does and uh it was another mental setback in the big blow for Dortmund, but uh, un- until that moment, what was it, 47th minute or 49th minute or so, Dortmund were looking okay.
1: I would actually say more than okay. I mean, it was, it was the best 47 minutes <laughs> uh, that I've seen from Dortmund uh, in a while. And so, in you know, in general, in the Champions League, the, the thing that bothers me about it is, Results versus performance. And overall in the Champions League, and you watch the matches Dortmund has played, they haven't played like, say, against Stuttgart in the second half. They actually played well. Against uh, against Nicosia, in my opinion, they got incredibly unlucky a few times. Um, so a few little things here and there go differently the world looks different. And this was just one of those matches where in the second half, it just seemed after Kane scored as I I can't say even that don't one played poorly. I, I would say there was, you know, there, they just seemed to be missing that, that little push, that little bit of luck, that little bit of something going their way, that rub of the green, so to speak, that Other clubs do get, and they're just not getting right now. And it's got to be incredibly frustrating, not just for the players, but for Peter Bosch to look at it and go, you know, it's it's little things. It's not a fundamental, huge calamity like, say, Köln at the moment or Kaiserslautern in the second Bundesliga, where you're looking at it's just everything is crap we're talking small things here or there that Dalton won't get themselves into negatively and then can't get back out of and that's that's so frustrating and I'd say against against Tottenham that was just another example of that
0: but uh, you know I have to say uh, this 1-1 one, one, the, the equalizer was more self-inflicted than anything else first of all it starts with Andrei Yamolenko playing an absolute brain-dead pass to Jeremy Toyan who has uh, zero clue what to do with the ball. Uh, you know, at this moment, at best, he kicks it into the stands, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's just not in his DNA, and you can't really fault... I don't know. He he's a teenager anymore, but he's still a very young player, still pretty inexperienced, wasn't really a regular starter in the Bundesliga ever. So, um... Yeah, he loses the ball and, uh, yeah, basically then Julia Weigel rushes back and uh, tries to intercept a ball between, uh, Heumann Song and Harry Kane, I think it was. And, uh, all he should have done is cover Harry Kane because, uh, Götze was already on Song and, uh, we were, uh, yeah, we were talking about ball watching <laughs> on the last episode and, um, Basically, that's something that happened to a very big extent against Tottenham as well, where where Julian Weigel and Mark Bartra both uh, look on what Son will do with the ball, and uh, none of them really look at what Harry Kane is doing. And uh, they just completely lose sight of him, and then he gets the ball with a simple... I don't know if it was simple, but it was a square pass. And then, of course, Dan Axel Zagadou still could have defended that. Instead, he was nutmegged, and Harry Kane is a very good striker, and not every striker in the world will score that sort of goal uh, where he, uh, yeah, funnels it through the legs of the centre-back and then, uh, you know, beats Snurki at the near post, uh, although he has been beaten at the near post quite some time, but it was just a very precise finish. Uh, just... Gotta give him that. But, uh, yeah, this whole ball watching incident, you know, wasn't the only time it happened. It also happened before the 2-1 where, uh, Heum and son, uh, is completely free in the box because Julian Wägel tries to, uh, run toward the ball again. And, uh, yeah, had he just been near son, he couldn't have just, uh, put the ball on the strong foot and finished it into the top corner. You know, those are just little details that Happen over and over and over again and uh, this is i don't know matthias how would you describe it Indiv- individual tactical errors just, just like individual tactical mistakes that uh, yes yes pretty much commit. and this is this is something uh, that must be extremely frustrating for a coach and i personally don't know how you can fix that because a lot of those decisions that players make and uh, i hate to quote Christoph Daum of all people here on the show but he once actually talked about the magnetism of the ball and I think this is something Dortmund are uh yeah sort of suffering from that they are uh just you know looking what the player with the ball is doing and uh, completely for forgetting who of their opponents is making a run or who is free and uh yeah, maybe this is this is the mental issue everyone is talking about. That everyone is just panicking and sort of watching and just you know, it's like a like in those horror films when the uh, monster is coming at you and you're just freezing there. This is like what I feel uh, Dortmund players are doing right now, and in, in in a different sort of way, they're still actually running just in the wrong direction. Uh, so I don't know how to describe it any further, but uh, to
1: me, this is a big issue. It's, um, you know, I mean, it's deer caught in the headlight syndrome. I mean, it's the wrong interpretation of ball-oriented football. Um, honestly, you're not going to get a turnaround with the players you have on your squad right now. Because it was the same issue under Tuchel at times. Because the last season under Tuchel, yeah, I mean, yeah, won the Poka, came in third. But there were a lot of bad matches, and I even think about his his first season, where there were a lot of these players too, and you know just matches like against Pauk that were just ugh horrible, horrible to watch, or Koen last season. It was just the, the you you have Bosch is playing with basically a lot of the same guys uh, defensively that um, that took at his disposal. The only difference is. You have a a massively regressed Pishek. massively, Um, and then you have a lot of injuries on top of that. So, in my opinion, you are not going to solve that with this group of slightly above average defensive players. Yeah. If you if you want if you want yeah if you want to change it, you're gonna have to sell your players and buy better ones. And invest in defense. And I'm going to, you know, I hate bringing in American football into this. If you only buy flashy wide receivers and quarterbacks, but you neglect your offensive line and defensive line, you're not going to win games in the NFL. It's the same way in the Bundesliga or Champions League. If you neg- neglect that area, and I feel Dortmund has neglected that area for a good two seasons, at least in player recruitment. Um, losing Mats Hummels was a huge blow. Huge. That was, to me, I mean, we talked about Mislintat, losing Hummels, to me, is the biggest blow Dortmund have suffered over the last two, three seasons. Without a doubt. I mean, forget Lewandowski. Hummels... Is huge, and you can see it now, because he made everybody around him that much better. And uh, that's what you need to do. You need to get new players, it's plain and simple. I'm not blaming Bush; I'm blaming the fact that our defensive players, uh, you know, I think P- Pishek is an intelligent defender. His legs are gone. His legs are just gone. And I'd say the same thing with Schmelze. He's physically deteriorated because of injuries he suffered. Now, he may turn it around, second half of the season, but I don't know. But everybody else, no. They're above-average Bundesliga players, and that's where Dortmund sit right now on the table, above-average, not more.
0: Yeah, I also, I got to say, Socrates, when was the last time he was actually in form, and when was the last time he showed any sort of... uh, defensive intelligence we all know he is great at tackling and uh, getting in there and stuck in or whatever you want to call it but uh when it when it comes to you know clever positional play and and whatnot uh socrates is not maybe your guy and uh Ömer toprak so far has also a lot left to prove so i mean um,
1: top i mean toprak i'm gonna cut him some slack because he's he suffered a lot of injuries and he also had injuries at leverkusen at the end so I'll cut him a little bit of slack. I think the problem you have with Socrates is you're dealing with the same thing you had with Subotic when Hummels was injured. Subotic felt like he had to do so much more. And granted, he was dealing with Felipe Santana next to him. So, yes, you have to do a lot more. <laughs> but when Subotic tried to do too much, like he tried to play the killer ball out of the back, which he can't, things got pretty squirrely pretty fast for Dortmund. I think Sokar is basically like, trying like
0: too much. last season after the World Cup where he tried to be Manuel Neuer all of a sudden and tried to yes. add a new dimension to his game and did not work out because he neglected his
1: own strength. It's just the same. Correct. Correct. And Subotic, cuz he's a fire. You will I will never criticize him for his heart, his desire, his work rate. I mean the guy's a machine. But when he he's a limited defender. And he's regressing to the Socrates I knew and loved at Bremen right now, where when Dortmund bought bought him, I went, oh, my God, him? He sucks. But he played really, really well because he had Hummels next to him. And now he's trying to do too much, and it's just not working. He's playing outside of the limitations he has. And so to me, it comes down to Zagadou isn't there yet. Bartra is having a bad season. He just is. Topak is closer to a Socrates than a Bartra. So, yeah, you've you've got some issues there. To me, will it be solved if you buy a couple of better players in the winter? I don't know. Uh, you, uh, that's hard to say. It definitely can help. I, I'm not an advocate for a winter transfer, but I'm going to tell you right now, if Dortmund bring in a couple of two defenders maybe even 3 i'd be all for it at this point don't i, I don't think you need a striker a midfield player or a winger i think those those guys will be fine if we get our defense sorted the rest will follow
0: yeah i have to agree with you there and uh, you know those those issues they, the, the mistakes they're making they're they're they not new as you just said they're really not new so um it's all just being magnified right now, A, eh, by the way how Peter Bosz wants to play football, which is probably not helping, but also injuries, lack of automatism, all that is more or less now just coming together. And um, yeah, I can only repeat myself in saying if Dortmund uh, find a new uh, fullbacks who have a little bit more of astute passing to them, but also can defend, I know it's one of the most complex positions in football right now and they're not easy to find uh which is why Dortmund are letting go of Mislintat because he obviously can't do it <laughs> uh, yeah maybe a bit of tongue-in-cheek here but uh, you know where I'm getting at um yeah it's it's a problem especially if your head coach wants to build the play from his fullbacks rather than his backs. um which is fair enough but uh yeah then you also need the material to do it and uh I mean, at Ajax, Feldman more or less was and is the guy, but Dortmund don't have that type of player right now. So, um, yeah. uh, General question, do you think a back three would help in that
1: regard? Yes. Yes. Um, A thousand times yes. (laughs) Because I think that's why we saw Toho pretty much just play with a back three, because he saw those issues. It's the same players. It's no different. He just didn't have Zagadou and he didn't have Toprak, but he had Gintel. So, um, you know, same issues. I would go to a back three, push the fullbacks up a little bit and and maybe try a system more akin to, say, you know, that, that 3-4-3 type system that, say, Chelsea play under Conte, something like that, or even what Tottenham play. And I think you will get that defensive solidity and you can push those wingbacks up a little bit more to play the way that maybe will help a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I know Bosch has played with a back three in the past at Ajax, but the four three three. I mean, that's his mantra.
0: Yeah, but for what it's worth, I actually really liked Rafael Guerrero on the left wing. And at times he actually slotted in to... Uh, Forming a back five, and it helped Dortmund a great deal because uh, too many times um, Tottenham managed to uh, with their strikers Drag uh, Toljan and uh, and Zagadou. I think it was uh, a little bit to the left side, uh, Dortmund's left side, and and leaving uh, I think it was Son more often than not on on on, on Dortmund's right side, more or less open. And the same happened, uh, you know, exactly the other way around uh, with uh, then a player open uh, who could attack Schmelzer. What they didn't do, but Marcel Schmelzer also way too often caught out uh, there in his positioning, just like he was at Stuttgart, uh, and Tottenham just didn't take too uh, many uh, didn't didn't take advantage of that. But uh, nevertheless, that was also a problem for dortmund in in this game, and uh when Guerrero slotted in to a back five Dortmund all of a sudden had that defensive width that they needed to cover the entire back line and uh uh yeah not have one uh tottenham attacker completely open, which uh we know all uh can inflict a lot of damage with just one long ball. And I think this, uh, yeah, can help going forward. But I, of course, don't know how, I uh, don't know how often we will see that again. Anywho, um, if we talk about defensive solidity, Matthias, I'm afraid we can flip over to the Revier Derby because, uh, in the last, what was it? Five games or so, Dortmund scored 14 goals, just as many Schalke. But uh no, other way around. Dortmund scored eight goals, just as many as Schalke, but they conceded 14 goals and Schalke conceded one. So Dortmund in that time frame has one point in the league table and Schalke has 13th. And hence Schalke now are in second place and Dortmund are in fifth. So um with all that, uh what do you call it, baggage, that Dortmund are bringing to the game on Saturday. Is there a snowball chance in hell that they are going to win? Or is this exactly the reason why they are going to win?
1: Well, of course course they've got a chance to win. I mean, the individual quality is there. I mean, any team can beat any team in the Bundesliga. That is the narrative of the Bundesliga. I mean, going into it from a form table standpoint last weekend, you didn't think that Bremen would annihilate Hannover. Uh, I, don't know if I looked like a Champions League team up until that match, and Bremen is a relegation candidate, and they tore them apart. So anything can happen. I'm not going to lie; I'm not overly confident that it's going to happen. Just because, you know, when when teams are on pretty much equal footing as far as form goes, I would always place bets on Dortmund. But when one team is so in the ascendancy and one team is so in the descendancy, and yes, I know the fall won't continue forever for Dortmund, but the likelihood of it turning around against a very good team like Schalke, you know, that that may be a little little bit too much to ask. That being said, in uh, Klopp's last season, where we were looking like maybe we would get relegated for a while the the match that really tipped things in Dortmund's favor was the Revier derby against Schalke that we won and you know who's to say the same thing can't happen again um i don't think it's going to happen again <laughs> i just think there's there are too many issues right now beyond tactics or morale i think it also comes down to just fitness and healthy players especially defensively um and tedesco's no dummy and he'll he'll have seen the ways to attack Dortmund to exploit their weaknesses and nullify their strengths. So it's it's going to be a tough ask. But do I think Dortmund have a chance? Of course they have a chance.
0: Of course. I mean, uh, you know, if we go over to the Derby phrases, it's a 50-50 game and form doesn't matter. <laughs> this is this is what everyone more or less preaches ahead of a derby and uh Matthias before we uh dive a little bit more into the detail of uh, what is to be expected in this game maybe um you can elaborate a little bit more about the meaning of this game.
1: Um well I mean Meaning as in, what does it mean in this context, or what does it mean in general?
0: Maybe just in general to the fans here in Dortmund and Gelsenkirchen and around. Because there's always this debate, what's the biggest game in Germany? What's the biggest game for Dortmund fans? And uh, I think the, the answer is more or less... uh. Yeah, switch between uh, the game against Bayern and the game against Schalke and there are people who see the Schalke game, the derby, being more important than others, the the Bayern game. both is fair enough, I think. Uh, how do you see it? And uh, more importantly, uh, why is the Revier derby still also important for Dortmund?
1: Well, it comes down to emotion. Um, emotionally speaking, the Revier derby is the biggest match in Germany. There is there's no question about that. Um, is there a rivalry with Bayern? Yes, but Bayern have a rivalry pretty much with every club because everybody hates them. Um, but they also have a rivalry based on history, who was the other top dog at a given time. You know, you still talk about the nord zut between Hamburg and Bayern, but there's no real rivalry there anymore. So it does come down to the Rivia-Dabby because you're talking about two clubs that are pretty close geographically. Um, both out of the Ruhrgebiet, even though if you talk to hardcore Schalke fans, they will say that Dalton is not part of the Ruhrgebiet, they're part of Westfalen, which, as you and I both know, is pure semantics because Schalke, which is not an own city, it is just part of Gelsenkirchen, is also part of Westfalen. So it's just semantics about, hey, we're from the Ruhrgebiet, we're tougher than you, which is all just bullshit. Um, Here you we know, go. this, <laughs> yeah, This rivalry, historically speaking, this rivalry really only goes back to the 1950s. You know, before that, Schalke was so much better than Dortmund. Uh, It was only in in the 1950s when Dortmund became a power in Germany, won German championships. And we can't forget the last time Schalke won a domestic German championship was 1958. And well, that you mean was... we can't
0: forget. We can't even remember. It's that long ago.
1: That's true. We just have to always remind Schalke that it's, that it's, <laughs> that it's been 59 years. Uh, actually, if it'll be 60 years at the end of the season, uh, since they won it last. So, uh, or they haven't even won the Bundesliga. Let's put it that way. And historically, over the last call it decade, Dortmund, even in bad seasons, somehow find a way to rain on Schalke's parade and have actually, by beating them in the Riviera Derby, have cost them a league title once even, which is fantastic. 2007, um,
0: Smolarek. Yep. Frey, yep. look it up.
1: Oh, uh, uh, Alex Frey and Ibis Smolarek, forever heroes in Dortmund because of that match. Um, And so there's a lot, there are a lot of bragging rights to it. Dortmund tend to have more bragging rights because more bigger titles more recently. You know, obviously, we've won the Bundesliga multiple times. They've never won it. Um, the year they won the UEFA Cup, we won the freaking Champions League, baby. Um, yeah, they've won a few cups, but hey, we have two now in the meantime. So, you know, there is a, a massive Napoleonic complex around Schalke, and to put it for our American listeners, we have a lot of American listeners that are trying to understand what this is. It's, it, you know... It's, it's not really Red Sox Yankees, even though there's, there's a little bit of an aspect to that. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's so deep seated in Schalke that they so badly want to win. It's almost like I'm going to compare it to the Philadelphia Eagles in the sense of such a passionate fan base. They haven't won crap in over 50 years. So with, with Schalke, it's kind of the same way. And, This rivalry goes that deep just because Dortmund also is the more white-collar town now versus, you know, blue-collar. Schalke was coal mining, whereas Dortmund was steel and beer versus coal. Um, Dortmund kind of rebuilt itself over the last 50 years, also through the insurance industry, tech industry whereas Schalke, i.e. Gelsenkirchen, has just continued to decline. And so there's also, a, I guess, a cultural aspect to it and a societal aspect to it that goes beyond just the football itself.
0: Yes, that is very true. And... Uh... And I didn't really like the reference to the Eagles there because the Eagles look mighty fine this year, <laughs> and, and It's okay.
1: Hey, they'll they'll still lose even if they get to the Super Bowl. Man, they lose. Yeah, that's what my wife is telling me too.
0: So, uh, the Eagles forever the chokers, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, for for now, Zach Ertz go ahead and score me all those fantasy points. Anywho, uh, <laughs> before we talk more about the Philadelphia Eagles tight end, uh, it's uh, time to talk about Dominic, uh, Domenico Tedesco and uh, how he has turned the luck around for Schalke. And, um, yes, we are not a Schalke podcast as, uh, Lars Perman recently stated and noted. Uh, but, uh, it, I, I feel like finally somehow Schalke are turning things around, uh, to the better. And uh, not only because they're in second place right now, but because Christian Heidel actually, uh, you know, started to reshape the infrastructure, you know, modernize the training ground, stuff like that, you know, uh, things that make them an actual, you know, or at least, you know, bring them to the level of other top clubs, something where Schalke have been lacking extremely in decades, so... This is one aspect and of course Domenico Tedesco has found a way to make Schalke a little bit more successful in the sporting sense and it looks like it's uh, going to be a consistent formula for at least this season. Of course you never know how things are going to go with them in the long term because uh, Max Meyer has yet to extend his contract and so is uh, Leon Goretzka and those of course are very pivotal to that club but uh you know, overall, it could have been worse, uh, for Schalke. And I think things are, as you said, a little bit on the ascent. Um, so basically Schalke, if you watch them, they're not the most spectacular team, right? But they have the second best defense in the, in the, <laughs> in Germany. And, uh, that I guess counts for something in the Bundesliga. And this is uh, where the focus has been on for most parts of the season for Schalke that they apply usually a three-five-two system and uh, yeah I don't know they just try to minimize their own errors try to be defensively compact and, and try to uh, yeah pounce on the errors the opponents make which is not really spectacular spectacular but at least it's it's working out for them um matthias now knowing how schalke fans are and you just uh, mentioned this uh, napoleon complex uh, i'm very confident that as a schalke coach you cannot play this sort of style uh forever because they at some point will expect spectacle but of course this uh you know with more success and and whatnot can of course happen there but um for the time being um how do you expect Schalke to yeah line up against Dortmund because I feel like they have the royal blue blueprint and uh, just uh do what other coaches in the Bundesliga have done so far and uh be very efficient about their approach in the derby and uh, hence uh yeah I don't I don't see too many advantages in Dortmund's favor right now
1: No, I mean, they'll, they'll be, like you said, they're not spectacular, but even under Hoop Stevens, you know, I mean, he always said, you know, the, the, the zero has to, is, is a priority defensively. So they're, they're used to defensive football or unspectacular workmanlike football, as they like to say. Um, I like to call it boring, but what they have is they'll be very solid. They'll, they'll know given that, you know, they have a three, five, two, but those, the, the wingers are more winged back, so they'll probably sit them more defensively, and basically nullify any of the attacking strengths of Dortmund. Hit a long ball, run into the gap. I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's going to be quite that simple. I don't think you're going to see amazing pass combinations to unlock Dortmund. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward football to attack Dortmund at this point, especially given the defensive frailties and the defensive injuries that we're facing right now. Um, I don't see Tedesco on the same level as Tuchel. Um, He's not really a tinkerer of tactics. He's played pretty much, I believe, the same tactic every single week. He's just refined it a little bit, but he doesn't tinker a lot. So maybe that could also be the shortcoming to go after him. I think that's the one thing about Stuttgart and Hannes Wolf. Hannes Wolf does tinker. Uh, Tedesco, I haven't seen that. Nagelsmann adapts. I haven't seen that really from Tedesco because when in matches even with him, when the opposition manager made slight adjustments, Schalke had issues. But we both know that Bosch isn't one to make massive adjustments to his system. So,
0: But he tends to do some, as we just saw against Tottenham.
1: For yes, yes, he he can make some. And I think... He'll try to do it within the confines of what he has, attacking-wise, knowing that we're frail at the back for all the reasons we already discussed before. And so it's a matter of trying to play to your strengths and nullify your own weaknesses. Uh, I think Schalke, their defensive solidity hurts us. Their unspectacular attack can be in our uh our advantage, but they do have some guys that can really cause cause problems because they're a good side. You know, this isn't just this isn't like essentially Frankfurt that's very defensively solid and you know that's about it. There or, or Hatta in that regard. There's there's a lot more to Schalke than those sides. Um, you know, I'm I'm cautiously pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, the the thing is that uh, makes Schalke very good right now is uh, their back three. I would say uh, with with Naldo being an absolute star, what there I still have my doubts about Tilo Kera. You know, he's very young. He's uh, the left center back, if you want, in this uh, back three, and he is prone to the occasional error every now and then and of course uh, we have to really mention how he has uh, transformed Max Meyer from a hapless number 10 into a really really efficient number 6 and uh, I was uh, watching uh, parts of uh, shark's tunnel win over Hamburg and uh, you know again not spectacular, aka boring, but, uh, Max Meyer was actually, um, the sort of, uh, he, he actually won the, uh, tackle in midfield to, uh, yeah, which later led to their penalty and, uh, the opener. And to me, it felt like, um, uh, from that moment on, as, as soon as Schalke went ahead, there was just no way back ever for Hamburg. I heard they hit the post at some point, but, um, Max Meyer really impressed me in this game and already in games before because he, is not only very smart as a ball distributor, but also he is taking care in the defensive department. He has this, uh, sort of aggression. This, uh, yeah, this, he's, he's just a terrier right now, especially with that. Is it a bus cut? Was <laughs> well, this just, I don't know. I don't know what you call I don't it, know. but uh, I have no idea. That d- doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm just trying to bring the point across that Max Meyer right now is, many things that Julian Weigl isn't and this for Dortmund could be very problematic going into this game and um, I've uh, peeked at uh, what our opponents are doing right now and looked at the uh, Schalke tactics block Halbfeldflanke and uh, the guy who is making videos there explained very nicely how right now Schalke are more or less trying to have the back three and then uh, uh, form a pentagon up front and uh, every time they position holding midfielder gets the ball. They just basically, uh, yeah, just, just tie the knot and, uh, yeah, make, make spaces really, really tight for the holding midfielder. And we've seen quite well because Leipzig have done similar things in Dortmund. Uh, this, this can be very problematic. So, um, yeah, once again, it's going to be a very big game for either Weigl or Schein, whoever is playing in, in this one and, uh, uh, Yeah, should maybe make Bosch consider a second holding midfielder, the Doppelzacks, as you already alluded to, Matthias. So those are my two cents on on the game from the Schalke side of things, because I think that uh, Schalke, uh, yeah, will exactly try to yeah approach this as I already described the the Champions League approach, just be uh, very risk averse and uh, yeah, roof roofless on the counter-attack and uh, that they certainly are and are very efficient. So I have the hunch that Dortmund will huff and puff and Schalke then uh, very calmly score the goals and, uh, I don't know, take home a boring or scrappy 2-0 win or something. But uh Matthias, you are here now to convince me otherwise, even though you said you were cautiously pessimistic.
1: Yes, I completely disagree with your scoreline prediction. I think Shaka will win two to one.
0: I have nothing to say, but I actually I actually <laughs> no, wanted it's, to uh, it's seriousness. have you yeah, yeah, that, that for once too, but uh <laughs> no, Oh I, for once. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, all kidding aside, I actually wanted you to come up with some arguments why Dortmund can actually win this game and maybe how
1: well, they can win the game by focusing in defense and paying the hell attention to what's going on, and not just watch the ball. Um, All right, we've I would say.
0: Established that this is not a yes. Thing.
1: <laughs> okay, honestly, aggressive pressing press. If you if you have your front three, and then maybe throw in. You know your 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 gutsa type position to aggressively press, uh, Schalke early and often, and you press as a whole team significantly, like like they did at the beginning of the season. I think you can get what you want, and that's to disrupt them enough. Because Maxmaya, yeah, he's playing well. He's also extremely moody and extremely streaky. And if you get in his head, and you get in his face, and you knock his ass on the ground. He's not going to play well. He doesn't like getting roughed up a little bit. So maybe you've got to get in his face a little bit and you got to knock him on his ass once or twice. And I think that will help you. Like you said, someone like Tilo Kera makes mistakes. Press him. Put pressure on him specifically. They understand pressing traps. Bosch is an intelligent manager. He knows how to create pressing traps to funnel the ball to the weakest links. Do that. Work on that. Problem is you have a short, short time to have done that. So I don't know if they've already been working that a long time. But if you do those things and they're not rocket science, then I think yes, Dortmund can win this match.
0: Well, I'm glad that uh, now we both have barking dogs <laughs> on our on our track because I just think I heard a bark on your feet. But yeah, you're right. And if I want to make one addition pass the ball to magic Christian Pulisic because uh, we saw it against uh, uh, Bayern, yeah, Uh, that this can work out very well. And he, of course, was injured in the last two games. But uh, from what we hear and see that he has been back in team training and whatnot, that there is hope that he will return for this derby. And uh, he is one of those players that can make the difference, especially in such a game and especially... I hope he will uh be playing on the right side instead of Yamolenko and uh That would also then be the guy who would hopefully run circles around Tilo Kira. So um yeah I think this is this is uh, also something we mustn't neglect that uh, Christian Pulisic, especially in the Derby, uh, is a sort of player who comes out ready to play. And um yeah if if uh this whole uh yeah thing goes well then uh, Dortmund can maybe change things around. And, uh, yeah, as as I said at the beginning of the show, there was something I wanted to talk about, and there was a statement by Peter Bosch at the news conference yesterday after the Tottenham match where he basically said, uh, asked how to fix the uh, lack of confidence in this team that maybe the Derby will come around at the right time. Uh, Now, of course, this is the line we already heard before the Bayern game, and, um uh, yeah, it didn't quite work out then. But, uh, you know, for sake of argument, um, do you think that uh, having the Derby now is uh, good for Dortmund? Is this the game coming at the right time? Is this the perfect game to fix the confidence?
1: Could be. It <laughs> could also be the game that uh, gets Bosch fired. Um, no, I think... I think he was right with what he said against Bayern, and overall, Dortmund didn't play horribly. They just didn't get the result they needed. Um, against Schalke, I'd rather see the match against Schalke come right now because you have to be focused the whole time. Uh, against, say, Bremen or Mainz, uh, which obviously comes after the Leverkusen match, there's, there's still that chance of complacency because you're just so much better than your opposition, talent-wise. Uh, and that can bite you in the ass. So... Honestly, there are at the end of the day, there are no easy matches in the Bundesliga. Any team is capable of hitting you on the counter, which is obviously one of the weaknesses. And any team for Dortmund tries currently. to
0: beat Dortmund because they're Dortmund.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. It's not like against Bayern where you know eighty percent of the teams already give up before they start playing. Uh, the you know Dortmund, they're like, hey, you know, if we get a little bit lucky, maybe we can do something here, um, and they're more up for it. So I think. No, it's, it's perfect. You know, the pressure is going to be on. The fans are going to be on. Um, you know, if not now, then when? And it could be really the... I think it will be basically the catalyst for the rest of the season. If it goes horribly wrong, you'll limp into the winter break. I don't know if Bush will get sacked. Um, I hope a lot of players do because I give them... 90% of the fault, and uh, but if it turns around, they play well, and they get that luck and that result, well, then it can snowball from there on, because, you know, Leverkusen aren't perfect, uh, Mainz and Bremen are beatable, Hoffenheim has shown a lot of weaknesses over the last couple of months, so this could really be the one to get a positive run into the winter break that you desperately need.
0: So basically, it's now or never. And so, yeah, maybe maybe to briefly touch on that um, <laughs> question, I guess that the the elephant in the room. Um, and I think the camp of Runachichin actually asked yesterday uh, Peter Bosch personally whether he thinks if this game will decide his fate. And yeah, he he more or less said that he doesn't really think so, but uh, he is definitely feeling the pressure, and. I'm not sure what the consequences will be. I mean, on the next day, Dortmund will have their members assembly and then afterwards the Jahreshauptversammlung. What do you call it? Is it the general assembly? I don't know. German doesn't always perfectly translate to English, but, um, yeah, basically, basically. So, um, yeah, this is, this is, uh, maybe not the best scheduling. Of course, uh, they scheduled the, uh, Two events before they knew they were going to play against Schalke at the weekend, and definitely before they were knowing that, uh, Dortmund were absolutely terrible at this point. Although maybe you could have anticipated that because it was going to be in fall. So, <laughs> but no, in all honesty, um, I think that, uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke, who is also a very emotional guy, will get a very good feel of how you know people how the how the atmosphere is at that members assembly i think and uh you know if don't want lose to schalke i really do wonder the next morning 11am how uh things go forward from there uh because i honestly don't know um you know i've been asked what was amazon prime radio or something uh from out of 1 to 10 how likely I find uh, that they're going to fire Bosch anytime soon. And I said three because right now I just don't see who else they're going to bring in. I just don't see a contingency plan and you just don't fire someone for the sake of firing. If you don't have an alternative, you can do that when you're that uh, last in the rele- relegation zone. But I don't think you can do that. um If you're fifth in the table and just uh one point away from uh, the promised land, the Champions League spots and, uh, had so much uh, trouble and I don't know I just don't I don't see who else Dortmund could bring in um, you Matthias now have the opportunity to uh, answer that question for yourself and let us all know
1: <laughs> well I mean I've made no bones about the fact that I that I like Peter Bosch I, I like his style I like I like his approach. I think he can be successful given time and Dalton. And given the right players, does not have the right players. Toh last season did not have the right players. And they're the same group of players defensively that we have right now. We already talked about that. Um I think a loss to Schalke will not mean Peter Bush is going to get sacked. I think a bad and humiliating loss will. I think if Dalton go out there, lay an egg, and just get crushed. Four five, nil. Yeah, come on. Yeah, sure you
0: don't score that many goals. No, not even. No, that's
1: why it's it's not going to happen. Um, I don't see them firing him. Um, given the form table right now and at Nice, maybe Lucien Favre will be freed relatively soon because they're going through a similar horrible run. At least they were. I haven't. Yeah, you can make the same argument place. about
0: Peter Stöger. Was also yeah. on Dortmund's list well, of hiring
1: coaches. Yeah, and and you know we can see where things are going with Stuttgart and Köln right now, namely straight into the second Bundesliga. No hope, no hope. I'll put that right there. Um, no, he shouldn't get sacked. Uh, even if they limp into the winter break, it gives you a winter break to reassess, reevaluate, bring in new players, which they they have to with or without him. You can't do it with this group of defensive players. And, um, you know, I think they'll treat him the same way Shalika treated Vincia. Play it out through the season. You can't forget Shalika when they lose their first five matches last season. Um, they'll play it out to the end of the season, sit down, evaluate. If it just wasn't good enough, they'll let him go after the season because that's when you make that break. Now, if it all completely falls to pieces, of course, you got to do something. But... Sacking him right now, that's stupid. That's a stupid thing to think and say.
0: All right. Uh, I would agree. I still, I don't, I don't know. First of all, I also don't like all the Peter Bosch hate right now. And it's uh, always easy to find a scapegoat. And uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Maybe I change my mind on that uh, at some point in the season. But for now, I would hold on to him. Even if it's just for the sake of not having a better alternative, um, and before we give our final derby predictions, there's one last point on my sheet, and that reads: "Tonius jinx." What's that all about, Matthias?
1: Well, um, Clemens Tonius, the the boss as Schalke, <laughs> historically. I was, I was expecting butcher instead of. The butcher, the butcher of Gelsenkirchen. Makes him sound like a serial killer or a warm criminal. Um, I just put it
0: for most of his...
1: Yes. Well, honestly, who hasn't? Um, but his... He, he, He's known for saying things prematurely. It was a few seasons ago. He predicted Bundesliga titles and, well, we all know that hasn't happened in 60 years. And he made the comment in an interview, I forget with whom, um, but in an interview, he said that you know, mid to long term goal is to clear. Say, let me phrase that right now, they are above Dortmund. Yes, you are. Thank you. You can read a table. Congratulations. Um, but that mid to long term, they their goal is to overtake Dortmund. Um, now. I would say mid to long term, they need to overtake a few other clubs overall. You know, one season a club does not make, and uh, they've been streaky for 15 years. So, uh, it's going to take a lot to get past Dortmund, like you said, Prepod. Um, just from the financial aspect, it's going to take a lot uh, from a revenue standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. Uh, and yeah, long term is great, but what's long term? Twenty years or 3 years. Um but yeah, it is the Tonyas curse. That's why I'm cautiously pessimistic versus full-blown pessimistic because he opened his mouth this week and that tends to bode well for Dortmund.
0: Yeah, we will we will see. Um now, final prediction. I said this was going to be a very optimistic and uh, hopeful, joyous podcast, as always, in the last uh, weeks. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to say Dortmund will win this 2-1 against our rationale. <laughs> so what's your prediction?
1: Um, I cannot, no matter what I think, ever tip against Dortmund, against Schalke. I can't. is physically impossible so, um, I am going to also go with a 2-1 victory for Borussia Dortmund over, um, those guys out of Hannah.
0: All right. I, I think I might have to listen back, but I think you actually had a Freudsche Versprecher and said against Schalke instead of against Dortmund. So, um, <laughs> but yeah,
1: uh, that prediction. Is I, I knew what I, I knew what I meant. Like, I can't, like, when they're playing against Schalke, I can't tip against Dortmund. You know, that's that's kind of what, yeah, what I meant. Yeah,
0: we, we all knew what you were meaning. Anywho, Matthias, uh, thanks for joining myself on that short notice. And uh, now you have all the freedom in the world to tell our listeners where they can find you on
1: the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Matiasuk, and you can also find me on the World Football Index.
0: That is very nice to hear. And you can find me, at Stefan on Twitter. You can follow my work on ESPNFC. FC. Um, yeah. I guess we'll be back next week with the Revere Derby debrief. And in the meantime, if you want to subscribe to our show on different ways, you can do that via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and your favorite podcatcher. And if you want to support us financially, you can also do that uh, via Patreon on patreon.com slash wall. And for everyone who's already doing so, a very big thank you out to you guys. And as always, thanks for listening. Until next week, goodbye.